Good morning, Third Street. How y'all feeling? Blessed. Appreciate that. That's very kind of you to say. <sighs> Man, look at you. Look at us. Huh? It's beautiful. Hey, if you don't know me, uh, my name is Corey. Uh, I'm one of the co-pastors here at Third Street Community Church. And this morning, it's my honor and my privilege to be bringing forth the word of the Lord. This is my favorite thing that I get to do. I'm honored every time that I get to stand before you uh, and present the scriptures. Uh, I love the scriptures and I love this series that we've been in. This series, church, if you've been here, you already know uh, this series is called Holy and Acceptable. Church, if you're with me this morning, say holy. Holy. If you're with me this morning, say acceptable. Acceptable. Yeah, we want to be both of those things, right? We want to be both of those things, right? Romans, the book of Romans talks about, the Apostle Paul says, um, says encourages us to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. Yes, because this is worship that is holy and acceptable to the Lord. And I think that when we, when we, when we really break down what that means, I think a lot of times we can, we can get lost in what it looks like to be holy. We can get lost in what it looks like to be acceptable. As a matter of fact, I would say much of the arguments that we have within the churches over what is what we think is acceptable and what it isn't, right? And so as we've been going through the series, we've talked about what does it look like for our lives to be holy and acceptable? Is it as muddy as our society makes it seem? Is it, is it as complicated as it feels sometimes when I read certain scriptures, right? We've talked specifically so far about what does it look like to offer our treasures, our time, talent, and, uh, uh, and resources as an offering? What does it look like to offer our relationships as an offering? This morning, what I want to get to is we're in about the middle of this series, is I want to talk about what does it look like to offer our reverence? What does it look like to offer our respect? And I know, I appreciate that. Uh, I, I, and I know that there's a lot of pretense to this. There's a lot of different ideals in the church as to what is respectful. I know for example, a church that I grew up going to would scoff at the idea that I'm in jeans, a sweatshirt with no hood, and J's. Is that reverent? Is that irreverent? Some people dance while they sing. Some people call out to God in different ways. Some people got their hands in their pockets. Is that reverent? Is that irreverent? There's a lot of pretense to this. What I want to ask as we approach the scriptures this morning, what I want to ask is that, is that because it's going to be a consistent theme throughout the scriptures today, I'm going to ask that you lay all that down. Okay. Because I think that there's a lot that we come into the conversation of respect and reverence for God, fear for God uh, with. And I want to ask that we, that we let, a professor once said it to me this way, and I'll break it down for you. He said, let the didactic interpret the narrative. In other words, let the point of what scripture is trying to tell us interpret what we actually believe about our existence, right? So we're going to turn to the book of Exodus. 
If you don't know, it's in the Old Testament. It's actually the second book of the Bible. So if you open to the very beginning, you're going to see Genesis. Genesis is pretty long, so you're going to feel like you're scrolling for a minute until you get to Exodus, right? Then in Exodus, what we read is the story of the people in Israel who were in slavery uh, in, in, in Egypt. And we're going to go to the third chapter to a really common figure uh, named Moses. So we're going to read this passage, and this passage may be familiar to you, right? As a matter of fact, I imagine if you've grown up in church as long as some of us have, you, you colored this picture in, in, in Sunday school, but once again, remember, we're putting our pretenses down. Remember that, right? So as we approach the scripture, this is Exodus chapter 3. I just want to read just a little bit of it because there's a lot here. We're going to start in verse 1 and we're going to read about like, about like 6, 7, 8 of these, right? So Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 1, scripture says it this way. It says, meanwhile, Moses, y'all heard of him, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro the priest of Midian. <clears throat> he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. As Moses looked, he saw that the bush was on fire, but it wasn't consumed. So, so Moses thought to himself, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't this bush burning up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, he answered. The Lord says, do not come any closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he continued, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt and have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their suffering and I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from the land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the territory of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. When I was growing up, there was this uh, relatively new phenomenon that began sweeping uh, our generation. Um, it was, it was uh, a game that people latched onto, and venues for such a game began to pop up all over the place. You may have heard of it before. There was this thing. It was called paintball. You ever done it? I remember the first time that I did it. The first time I went paintballing, it was, it was with my two older brothers. Now, my older brothers were significantly older uh, than me, right? They're, they're like 11 and 12 years older than me. So naturally, like growing up as, as a kid, your older brothers are your heroes, right? And I remember when, when, when my brothers uh, first got back uh, from, from the military, anything I could do to spend time with them was it for me, right? And, and they had latched on to paintball of all things 
Now, outside of my brother's interest in paintball, I admittedly had zero interest in paintball. With respect to those of you who also find this appealing, I don't know what's so appealing about running around and letting people shoot you with things, right? That does not strike me as entertaining, fun, enjoyable, or also, quite frankly, frankly, like, like manly or dope in the least, right? And people are like, yeah, paintball. And I'm like, ah, yeah, I don't know, bro. Like, I don't know. There's like other things too, you know? But they invited me to go, to go play paintball. Now, here's what I didn't know. What I did not realize was that they were grossly underselling it to me when they said, let's just go out. We're going out paintballing for the weekend, right? And I was like, wow, that's a lot of paintball. Um, but remember, I told you, my brothers, they were in the military, right? So this was not paintball where you go out to that place out on Route 62 and for like 10 minutes you just like blast each other and then like they blow a whistle and it's over. This was not like that. This was uh, a lot more like, y'all ever play Stratego? Um, Let me say it another way. This was like capture the flag um, in the middle of a 40 acre plot of land where nobody can hear your screams and the, and the sides were divided between two teams and you camped out in tents and made your own food because for the next 72 hours, there was no other world except for the flag that you were trying to defend. Now, I see some of your eyes and it's telling me exactly who you are. I see some of you like, wow, that sounds amazing. And I got to tell you, that's weird. There was nothing amazing about this, right? I was scared to death, right? I only accepted the invitation because my brothers invited me, right? If I'm being honest with you, I had no interest in getting hit by a paintball. I had no interest in sleeping in the woods. It was cold. And I had no interest overall of going to war with a bunch of rednecks. I just didn't. It doesn't sound interesting, right? But... I was excited that I was called and I was invited by my brothers. So I began to prepare myself, right? I asked the typical questions. You know, like the first time you go to a tattoo parlor, you're like, does it hurt, right? And if somebody loves you, they'll look at you and be like, yes, it hurts, right? So I was like, hey, does it hurt? They're like, stings, you know, and it's going to be cold, so it's going to sting double, right? And so what I did to prepare myself was first of all, I got a sleeping bag that was like the like deeply like negative temperature sleeping bag. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I got the like zero degree, zero degree sleeping bag. That was first and foremost, right? The second thing I did was I got the biggest jacket I could find that was also camouflaged. The reason I did this is because I needed to hide the fact that underneath the jacket, I was wearing a life vest, right? There was no water in the woods. There was no swimming, but I needed that paintball to not hurt me. And so I wore a life vest and I wore a life jacket over top of four sweatshirts, six pairs of underwear, and five pairs of sweatpants and big boots because I needed, my feet got a lot bigger because I was wearing nine pairs of socks, right? I needed this desperately to not hurt. I also wore two hats and a helmet because I also didn't want to get hit in the head either. I was layered up. 
right? I was doing everything I could in order to protect myself. And then when we got into the woods, they start breaking down like we had hand signals. We had calls because it gets dark and the game doesn't stop when it's dark. And so you had to call out if somebody was, you know, out here in the woods and you just heard them, you had to have a call. And based on their response, that told you whether you were going to shoot or be like, oh, okay, it's just Jerry. Yeah, I know, right? And so I did what any logical, fearful person would do. And for 72 hours, I hid. I missed all the biggest battles. I have no clue where the flags were. Never found any of them, not even my own. Don't even know where we hid ours. That way, if they questioned me with the threat of torture, I could be honest and say I had no idea. And I have no clue who won. I just know afterwards we hit that pizza spot in Dover that like isn't up here. And that was great for me. Right. And as I think about this, you're like, dude, what are you freaking talking about? Listen, what I've come to realize is as I was preparing for this message and praying through like what I wanted to say, what the Lord wanted to reveal to us about reverence. I realized that this picture of how I behaved in this instance is the way we behave in our relationship with God a lot of the times. Right. Let me break this down a little bit. See, we want to be called. We want to be invited. Right. We want to believe even the most skeptic of skeptics wants to believe that there is a higher being, that there is a higher power that desperately wants to include us. We want to believe that whatever it is that created the universe would also have room in its plans for us. We want to be invited. Right. And I even believe that many of us in this room have heard at one point or another in our lives, we've heard the call, or at the very least, we've heard the invitation of God into a relationship with him. And we want to accept it. We really do. But in the process of accepting it, we do everything we can to protect ourselves. We do everything we can to protect ourselves from everything that comes with following Jesus. We do everything we can to protect ourselves from the element of the world because, God, if I'm going to follow you, you've got some expectations that are countercultural, right? You've got some ideas and ideals, God, that, that don't really match with what my friends are doing. They don't really match with what my company is doing. It doesn't really match with what my community is doing. And this is going to be weird, God. I'm going to be vulnerable, God. I'm going to be susceptible to criticism, God. I'm going to be susceptible to these trolls and, 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 and haters all over the place that I try to guard myself against. I might, I, might be, I might be susceptible financially, God. Every time I go, this dude Meek tells me to scan this QR code. And did you know that that QR code takes my money, God? And, 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 and I, I, just, I just gotta, I just gotta protect myself. I gotta make sure that I'm good, that even though whatever you're asking me to do is ultimately what I want to do, I just gotta make sure that like I'm good and protected through it all. Or is that just me this morning? That's fine. I'll preach to myself. I ain't scared. See, we say we want to be a part of what God is doing. But then we go out of our ways to protect ourselves from the elements of this world that God claims he has overcome. So to me, if I'm going to be specific, to me, reverence is not about. Let me say it better. 
Reverence is less about the things we do out of respect or fear of how big and significant God is. It's less about that, and it's more about allowing our deep respect for who God is to be bigger and more influential in our lives than our fear of what's happening in our circumstances around us. Does that make sense? Do I need to say it again? Yes. They're like, yes, because I just woke back up. Listen, reverence for me is less about all of the things we do out of respect for how big God is, and it's more about allowing our deep respect for who God is to be bigger and more influential in our lives than the fear that we have of our own circumstance. Right? Watch. Moses is walking along with his flock, right? Moses is walking along, walking along with his flock, and I don't know what tunes he was humming, right? Whatever it was, it wasn't Taylor's version. I had to. So he's walking along. I don't know what he's looking at, right? I don't, do you watch the sheep as you walk them? Do you watch the destination as you walk them? I don't know. I don't know. But whatever Moses is doing, suddenly this dude is like, hey, something's different about this scene. As Moses is walking with his flock, he realizes that's a fire over there, right? That's, that's a flame. That flame is like inside and on top of that bush, but that bush isn't going down, right? That bush is like being sustained, right? There is, there is, there is a remarkable sight, Moses says, and his reaction is, is to be like, well, I got to go check that out. I got to investigate. I wonder what that is. Because there's something about that that my, that my rational brain can't quite make sense of. There's something about this that's like a little terrifying because it defies my logic. But also, at the very least, mildly appealing because I want to go towards it. Right? See, God uses Moses' curiosity to attract him closer to himself. God uses Moses' curiosity to attract him towards the place that God was about to do something. And God, God uses his curiosity to pull him closer, but, but it wasn't the bush that God wanted Moses to see. It wasn't the bush that God wanted. It wasn't like, yeah, I know, this is pretty cool, huh? Like, there was a lot more to it. God was using that curiosity to pull him closer in order for Moses to hear the word that was going to be spoken through and from the bush. It was not the bush itself. Rather, it was the word of God that was going forth to Moses from the bush. This reminds me, of a lot of instances we read in the Gospels of Jesus. Jesus is going around community to community, and he's doing a lot of really dope stuff. He's healing people. People that the whole city knows was blind wasn't blind no more after they talked to Jesus. People that the whole city knew, we don't mess with them because they're super sick and diseased and nobody can figure out, wasn't super sick and diseased anymore after they touched Jesus. 
right? All these people that the community was in uproar about because they've suffered for generations of demon possession and that the devil just has a hold of their entire lives suddenly were liberated and freed after an interaction with Jesus. And so then what naturally started to happen was Jesus's ministry began to develop and began to attract a crowd. Jesus breaks down a couple pieces of bread and a couple pieces of fish, feeds thousands of people. Naturally, a whole lot of people are like, I'm going to follow this dude a little bit. I'm going to see what's going on with this. I'm going to see how much more he's going to do. There's something about Jesus that's just attractive. There's something about God that is just attractive, right? There's something about all of this that, that, that causes such wonder in our mind. And there's something about God that, that brings out our curiosities, that captivates us to walk closer. And as we walk closer, we walk into something that's so much deeper than, than what we first walked there for. And so that makes me wonder, like, when you approach God, do you approach him with a sense of wonder? Like, are you really looking at God and really have this heart and this spirit of, wow, I wonder... I don't know. I wonder what he's about to do. I wonder what he can do with this. I mean, hey, if he can, if he can like light a bush on fire without it like smoldering down into nothing, what else can he do? What could he do with the dumpster fire in my life? Right? Do you approach God with the sense of wonder like what can he do? What is he going to do, right? When you think of God, does it make you want to draw closer to him? When you think of God, does it make you be like, I want to know more, right? When you think of God, are you drawn to prayer because you want to see if he's going to talk to you? When you think of God, are you drawn to his scriptures because you want to see what he's, what he's taken us through, what he's been through, and what, and what he might do again? When you think about God, is it attractive to you that you're like, I just, I just want there to be, to be more of it. And if, and, if, and if your answer to any of this part is no, then, then, then my follow-up to that is, is then are you looking for it? Are you looking for God with eyes of wonder or has your heart become so hardened that you just keep walking with the sheep and you're like, there goes God, something else on fire. Right? Do you see the miraculous things that God is about to do? Or do you just see something else on fire? Not realizing that what's more miraculous than something else being on fire is that there's something else that's sustaining it even in the midst of the fire. Do you see the situation for another instance of something burning to the ground and then you rationalize it like, oh, it's the, it's the lack of humidity, it's the high temperatures, or it's somebody in California's gender reveal. My God. Boy, he's cooking with grease. 
Or do you actually recognize it for what it is that, yes, something is on fire. Yes, sometimes our life feels like it's a dumpster fire. Yes, it feels like we're being incinerated. Yes, we can't stand this heat. Yes, it feels like we're melting. But in the midst of it all, you're good. You're not. God is sustaining you. Because here's what happens when you are faithful to approach God with an honest sense of wonder, when you are faithful to to walk nearer to God, he is faithful and he is ready to let you in on what he's doing, right? So Moses goes towards the bush and he's like, what is this? What What is happening here, right? He approaches the bush and God calls out to him through the fire. He says, Moses, Moses. And Moses is like, this bush knows my name. But I don't know what else to do. Clearly, there's something greater than me at work here. So I have nothing else, no other choice than to, than to offer myself in the posture of a servant by saying, uh, here I am. Here I am. Whatever you instruct me, whatever you want from me, I don't understand you. I'm surprised that you know me. But whatever, whatever. Here I am. God says, don't come any closer. See, see, God, God knew, Moses, you're not ready yet. Hold on. Hold on there, cowboy. Right? You're not ready yet. You're not ready to receive what I have for you. There's still something left you need to do in order to get ready to receive the fullness of what it is that I have for you. And you know what it is? He says, take your shoes off. Come again. I said, I'm sorry, I thought I was outside, God. I didn't know I was in my grandma's house. Lord says, take your shoes off. And there's, there's a couple ways we can possibly understand that, that request, right? And part of it contributes to the idea of like Moses posturing himself as a servant, right? A lot of times servants didn't have shoes. I don't have time. It's a whole thing, right? Or... The interpretation of that command that, that, that I kind of tend to, tend to lean towards is, is that it is a request from God to lay aside all things that are between Moses and what God is doing, right? It's a command that says, that God says, I'm doing something here and those shoes, those shoes, like I need you to posture yourself in a position where there's nothing between me and you because what I'm about to tell you is wild. What I'm about to tell you is crazy. What I'm doing here is outside of your rational mind. And so for you to be able to understand and accept what it is that I'm about to tell you that I'm doing in your life and beyond, I need you to lay down all pretense. I need you to lay down all barriers. I need you to take your shoes off. I need you to take your jacket off. I need you to get real comfortable and down on your knees and get ready to receive what it is that God has for you. Right? God says, because because Moses, this is holy ground. This is holy ground. And I think a lot of times and a lot of in a lot of situations, a lot of cultures, this is where we kind of get carried away, right? Like, oh, this is holy ground, right? We got to be reverent. We got to be respectful of the ground. Can I tell you something about the ground? It was dirt. It was dirt. Oh, you're like, well, God said it was holy ground. It was dirt. Well, yeah, but that was, that was Horeb, right? That was Sinai. 
Don't you know what God would do at Sinai? No, and Moses didn't either at the time. Right? Well, that, well, that, was, that, that was Mount Sinai, Pastor. That was, that was, okay, so then it was dirt on top of a really, really big pile of dirt. Right? It was dirt. It was not holy because it was dirt. It was holy because of what God was doing there. It was holy because of what God was about to do. It was holy because of what God would go on to do that was starting with the inspiration that happened on that patch of dirt. That dirt was not holy yet, but it was about to become holy because of what God was about to do. This is a gym. Can we agree on that? This is a gym. I know some of you are like, no, it's more, it's a gathering space. It's a 82% of people are going to walk in this room and be like, it's a gym. Right? Specifically. It's a gym. It's, I, I'm saying, I see it too. It's the hoops. Right? I see the hoops. You peel up this, this vinyl floor, it's painted. I'll show you where the three points line, point line is at. I intuit that. It's about here. Yep, about here. Right? It's a gym. Or is it or is it a sanctuary? Is it a sanctuary? I mean, mm, feels like it might be right now. But what is it? Right? It's a gym. It's a gym. It's definitely a gym. It's a gym. Right? But what allows this space to be more than a gym is what God is doing in this room. What allows this space to be more than a gym is God's plans for the gym, right? What allows this to be more than a gym is that when we walk through those doors, we are laying down our pretense of what we think this room is meant to be for. And we accept whatever it is that God is about to do. We get so carried away, I think, sometimes with with how we think we need God to appear, that we miss what he's already doing, right? We get so carried away with our pretense, with our preferences, with our barriers, with our ideals of, of how we need God to show up, of the specific way we need God to come through and how we feel most comfortable for it to look as he does it, that we miss a lot of times, what God is actually doing. We get locked in on what it needs to look like. We get locked in on what it's supposed to sound like. We get locked in on, on what it's supposed to feel like. That we miss the fact that in the midst of all the dead things our eyes can see, there is shrubbery in the distance that's lit. Instead, instead, we need to have an open posture of, okay, Lord, okay, you got me. I'm, I'm curious, and, and in order to help me follow the wonder with which I approach your throne, please remove the things from my life that's a barrier to that. We got a lot of stuff that prevents us from fully seeing and experiencing what God is trying to do 
for some of us, it's logic, right? For some of us, it's time. For some of us, it's finances. For some of us, it's relationships. We have a lot of things that we're so desperately clinging to that prevent us from being able to fully see what God is doing. Because what we don't realize is that, is that for, us to, for us to really, really get the full experience, we have to take our shoes off. We have to lay those things down. He didn't say you're not going to get to experience those things again. He didn't say you're not going to get your shoes back in five minutes. He just said, take your shoes off. Be willing to posture yourself, position yourself to be able to be willing to remove from your life whatever it is that's preventing you from experiencing God. Because God, God wants you to be included in what he's doing. In case you didn't know, God is up to something. God is up to something and he is absolutely calling you to join him. How do, how do you know that, Pastor? That feels like a wild assumption that God would want to include me when nothing in my entire life has ever shown that I am somebody that is desired. How do you know God wants to include you when you are somebody who all the evidence of your life suggests people don't want to include, people don't want to accept, people don't want to love on and to develop? How do you know? Because of the last part, God gets real specific and real direct with Moses. He's not talking to, oh, the people of Israel. He's not talking to, oh, humanity. He's not talking to, oh, the United States and all of your turmoil in 2023. He's talking to Moses. And he's talking to Moses because Moses is, who's, is who is before him. And so when he says this, he's not saying this because he's reading his resume. He's saying this because of who Moses is. He's like, Moses, I know you. First of all, I called you Moses. Second of all, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. Well, why is that significant? Because that's Moses' relatives. He's like, I'm the God of you. I'm the God of your family history. If anybody knows the stuff that your family's been through, you want to talk about chains from, from generations, I know about them. I was there. I was the one who called your great, 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 great grandfather in the first place. Right? I was the one who took a childless man and promised him a son. I've, I, I've been with your family. Then he, he goes on, he says, he says, and I've seen the misery of your people. His people that God is referring to to Moses are enslaved. They're slaves in Egypt, forced labor, forced living conditions against their will. He's like, I've seen the misery, right? He goes on, he says, he says I've not only seen the misery, I've heard the cries. That wasn't an educated guess. That was him letting Moses know, I know that this person at this time of night, every single evening, cries out in this way with literal tears in her eyes, God, when will you save us? He says, I've heard the cries. 
he goes on to say, I know the suffering. And then watch this, watch this, watch this. What what does the next verse say? He says, I've seen the misery. I've heard the cries. I know the suffering. And I've come to rescue you. I've come to save you. I've come to deliver you from the grasp of evil. God knows how to meet us right at our point of need. But you know what's so beautiful? If you have the full scope of Israel's story in mind as you read this, is that not only does he meet the immediate need of Israel, freedom, not a a small thing, right? Not only does he meet that need, but he calls them into something deeper. He did it for Abraham. He took Abraham and he's told a childless man that he would have a son. He told a nomad with no place for his head that one day he would have land. He told an unknown, relatively irrelevant person, you're going to be the most famous name in your nation's history. He meets the immediate needs of Abraham. But what he calls into, what he calls Abraham into through a deeper connection in their relationship is something that only God can provide. So yeah, I'm going to give you a kid. Yeah, I'm going to give you land. Yeah, I'm going to give you recognition. I'm going to give you all that. I'm going to give you all that. But I'm also going to give you continuity. I'm going to give you stability. I'm going to give you an identity. Those are things that only God can give. What are you trying to say? What are you trying to say? Listen, if you don't hear anything else that, I, that I've said this entire time, or you've already tuned me out, you're already thinking about lunch, what time the Browns kick off, and whether or not the Cowboys will pull it off against the Eagles. Me too! But at least here, before your mind goes all the way there, at least here, what I'm about to say, if you take away anything from God's interaction with Moses, I hope it's the fact that God sees you. Amen. I hope it's the fact that God hears you. I hope it's the fact that God knows you. That the Lord sees the very circumstances you're walking through. I hope you know that that the Lord hears the agony in your voice. It's not lost on him how long you've been suffering. It's not lost on him how long you've been agonizing over this decision, over these circumstances. It's not lost on him how much pain is being inflicted in your daily lives because of our fallen humanity. It's not lost on him. He hears your cry. And a lot of times we get so locked in to when we pray, expecting God to just like make stuff go away the second we pray it, that we don't see the ways that he's already working. But can I encourage you for just a moment that he's already working? Because God sees you. Because God hears you. And maybe most importantly of all, God knows you. He knows you as Moses. He knows you as the great, great, whatever the heck ancestor of Abraham. He knows the family line that you were born into. He knows the physical hospital that you were at. He knows every location your parents moved you to throughout your childhood. He knows the school that you went to. He knows the bully's name. He knows every single style change that you went through to to match other people's preferences. He knows all of those things. He knows how you agonize over decisions because you wanted to protect yourself but you weren't really sure how things were going to play out and so you made the decision that you made and now you recognize it's a mistake he knows it all God knows all of these things and he wants so desperately to meet your need but he doesn't want to stop there he wants to call you deeper deeper from your sense of wonder 
deeper from your posture as a servant. He wants to call you deeper to meet the needs that you don't even know you have because they're so deep, they're so rooted, they're so significant that only the God of the universe and the creator of all things could possibly do something about them. He will meet your need, but he will also lead you into deeper understanding and acceptance of what only he can provide. The only question is, will you approach him? One of the most beautiful passages, I, I, I love this, the simplicity of it so much, is in Matthew chapter 10, when Jesus says, for everybody on this side of eternity that claims me, I'll claim them to my father. In other words, all you have to do is call him, and he calls you back. All you have to do is call him. And on judgment day, God is going to look at his son. He's going to be like, what about this one? And Jesus is going to be like, he's good. He's with me. Call him. And he calls you back. He will meet the need. He will lead you into a deeper understanding. Y'all want to talk about reverence. What does it look like to be reverent, right? Should I dress better? Should I wear different shoes? Bump all of that. Are you approaching God with a sense of wonder? Are you approaching God with a heart and a curiosity to just see what he's going to do? Because let me tell you something. If he can light a bush on fire and help it to not just completely crumble, he can certainly do something with your circumstance. Do you approach God with a sense of, I wonder what God will do? And do you approach God without pretense? Are you that open? That you would take your shoes off, that you would kneel on holy ground, and you would say, hey, whatever it is, God, whatever it is, is that your heart posture? And when you approach the Father, when you approach God, are you expecting to be led? I hope you walk out of here with the idea that you are seen, that you are heard, that you are known, and that when you approach our Father, with a sense of wonder, with no pretense, the God of the universe and the creator of all things will lead you into peace. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you and we acknowledge you as the creator. Father, we acknowledge you as the author of all of our stories. And God, we humbly approach your greatness with hearts that want to be included in your kingdom. We approach you with a desire to be adopted into your family and into the plans that you're working out. And so, Lord, right now, we want to pray for forgiveness. Forgive us, God, for the ways that we have held on to things to protect ourselves from what you may be calling us into. Lord, forgive us for the ways that we've protected ourselves from the battles of this world, not trusting that you would sustain us. Lord, I pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would reveal to us 
the things that we're holding on to, the shoes that, we've, that we are clinging to, that you're asking us to remove, that are preventing us from experiencing you more fully, more deeply. But we pray today for the strength and the courage to lay those things down. Lord, we pray today for the faith to know and understand and accept that you are going to see us through. God, we pray for the endurance to continue to follow the path you have marked out from the time of creation and by way of your son, Jesus, because we acknowledge and we recognize that the path we follow you on, as narrow as it may be, will not lead us into temptation, will not lead us into darkness, but will ultimately and eternally deliver us from evil. We pray these things. In Jesus' name, all who believe say, what's up?